Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Oh God, we thank you that you truly are enough, that in you there is a fullness of life, and it's the testimony of every believer in this room, that in you there is life and joy and hope and peace, that in you is everything we need, that we can be content to know that Jesus, you are enough. And so we thank you, Jesus, for the greatest gift you've ever given us, which is yourself, the opportunity to know you, to walk with you each and every day to be a son and daughter of the Most High King, our Heavenly Father, who is always for us, who relentlessly works for our good. We thank you, Jesus, for the precious opportunity of knowing you and walking with you, how that brings significance and joy to our life. And we thank you for that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen, amen, fantastic. Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome to our Father's Day service. Special welcome to anyone who isn't normally here on a Sunday. We're just so glad that you've joined us today. Even, as Nick said, if you came slightly unwillingly or bribed or whatever, we don't actually mind. You're here, and that's good with us. You know, fathers and father figures play an incredibly important role in the life of a family. I was reading an article from Psychology Today earlier in the week, and the stats around fatherlessness are just heartbreaking. I don't know if you've done any research around this, but the stats are really heartbreaking. Now, I don't want to discourage any single mums here this morning. You guys do an amazing job. There's always an opportunity to find a grandfather or or an uncle or a significant other male rodel to come and to step in the gap, right? And that's important. But it's also important to say the research is so clear. Dads play an incredibly important role in the life of the family and in particular in their kids' life. So we want to honor the fathers here this morning. We want to celebrate you. We want you to know how important you are, the role that you play and how significant that is. And we want to encourage you to take the role that God has given you seriously. Now you have the opportunity to affect everything from behavior and and academic outcomes to mental health and homelessness on the extreme end. And this stuff is serious. The impact that you make in the life of your kids is enormous. So we want to honor you this morning. We want to encourage you and we want to exhort you to take your role seriously. To be present and active and there for your kids. You are a reflection or a shadow of our heavenly father as you provide for your family. Now, that's true of the women here as well. I know, but relax, okay? It's Father's Day. It's not about you. That's what I said on Mother's Day. Now it's your turn. Relax. It's not about you. We just want to honor the dads in the room today. We want to honor you. We want to celebrate you and the difference that you make. But we also, and, and probably even more importantly, we want to have a look at the one that you reflect. As we were just saying, it's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, my provider. 
Now, you are a reflection of him, but, but he is the real deal. You are imperfect, but he is perfect. You know, we live in a world that's full of anxiety. One in four Australians would struggle with anxiety at some point in their lives. Nearly 30% of women under 35 are living with a diagnosed uh, depression and anxiety condition right now. And if you look at those stats, you can see they're only trending in one direction. So we've got more freedom than we've ever had before. We're wealthier than we've ever been before, but we're also more anxious than we've ever been before. You go to psychologicalhealthcare.com.au, real website, go there for yourself, and you look up the top things that Australians worry about, and right at the top of that list is money and how that impacts my future. Wealthier than we've ever been before, but what is the number one thing that Australians worry about? Money and how that impacts my future. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I just don't think that's the way that Jesus wants us to live. I don't think he wants us crippled by fear and anxiety. I think he wants us to trust him and to know that he is our provider. I mean, listen to this. This is Jesus. He says, do not worry about your life. He's not being pithy, by the way. This isn't callous or uncaring. He's saying this for your good. He says, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Excuse me. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows. Here's the but. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. well. That's a profound passage of scripture. Well, Jesus is saying the key to combating worry is to trust in his goodness. To know that he cares about you. That he provides for the birds of the air and, and the flowers of the field and they're nothing compared to you, to the dignity and the worth that he places on you. He says, I laid down my life for you. That's a level of care and love that I have for you to trust me. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and trust me with the rest. And Paul doubles down on that in Philippians chapter four, which is our passage this morning when he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory 
in Christ Jesus. Well, that's an incredible promise. I mean, you can build your life on that as long as you understand it rightly. And that's the key. It's so tempting to see that as a blank check. And I want you to know, Paul's not giving you a blank check. And if you see it as that, you're gonna end up very frustrated, very disappointed in God when you don't get what you want. But he's not saying, hey, you can live whatever kind of life you want and know that God will just underwrite it all. It's not what he's saying. It's not a blank check. Any text taken out of context can so easily become a pretext, a justification for whatever you want to believe. But every text has a context. And the context of these verses just won't allow us to use it as a blank check. So if you look at the context, you'll see that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. A group of people that had supported him over a long period of time. They were incredibly faithful and generous. But that's not because they were wealthy. They were actually incredibly poor. Well, That's why Paul brags about them to the Corinthians. That's what he says in his letter to the Corinthians. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's the Philippians and the Thessalonians, right? two of them. In the midst of the very severe trial, a very severe trial, sorry, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely of their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Out of there, Extreme poverty, welled up rich generosity. Now, I can't tell you how important that context is because it completely changes what Paul is saying, the promise that he's giving us. This isn't a promise for the privileged. No, this is a promise for the generous, which means it's good news for anyone who's willing to seek first the kingdom. Anywhere, anyone, anywhere, good news. God is generous to those who are generous. In verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment, which sounds strange to us. But what he's really saying is that you fulfilled any debt of friendship, right? Any obligation you had as a friend or, or a brother or sister in Christ, you fulfilled it. Paul's understanding of friendship is reciprocal. It's about giving and receiving. It's a a mutual building up, a mutual loving and serving. That's what friendship is supposed to be. So here he's saying if there was any debt of love and friendship, you need to know that you've paid it in full. And because of your sacrificial generosity, I have more than enough. That's what he says in verse 18, the verse before the verse we read. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. The Greek there is plerao. And it means, and this is beautiful, that I've been filled to the full. It's a picture of abundance and life. He's not lacking in anything. No, he's been filled to the full. That's what Paul is saying. It's a beautiful picture. 
But here's the thing. We only have this letter because Paul is wasting away in a prison cell. That's why he can't visit them on purpose. That's why he writes a letter in the first place. So Paul was saying, I have been filled to the full as he wastes away in a prison. Well, that's really interesting. Does God provide? Absolutely. Does that mean that your life is gonna be free of suffering and hardship? Absolutely not. Just look at Paul. I've been filled to the full and yet I'm in prison, stuck. And so we, you just gotta understand in our context, right? we're so used to things going our way that we have a tendency to equate provision with prosperity or opulence, comfort, that God's just gonna meet every need, right? He's gonna take care of everything. It's not gonna mean suffering and hardship in my life. No way, because he loves me. And really, this is what we kind of think, because I've been good. I've been faithful. I've always believed. I've always done the right thing. So, so really, I kind of actually believe that he owes me one. We're just so used to things going our way. We equate provision it's like opulence, prosperity. We buy into the prosperity doctrine without even realizing it. And you just need to know that's not what the Bible promises. It's not life. But we still live in a broken world. Paul says, I've been filled to the full. But there's suffering and hardship in his life. You better believe it. And there will be in ours as well. So God uses the generosity of his people to provide for Paul, but there's actually a dual nature to that gift. You see, their generosity was relevant on, on a material or a, a physical level because it met the genuine felt needs of Paul, right? It's relevant. But it was just as relevant on a spiritual level because it was a fragrant offering before the Lord, for the king. Now that's Old Testament language from the sacrificial system. But essentially Paul was saying that your generosity was like a burnt offering before the king. It was an act of love and service, not just to me. No, it was an act of love and friendship to the king. So even though I can't reciprocate, remember friendship is about Mutual edification. Even though I can't reciprocate, even though I can't love you and serve you back, even though I can't meet your needs, you need to know that my God can. And he will. That's the promise that Paul gives us. It reminds me of an old saying. I actually have no idea where it comes from. I'll give it to C.S. Lewis because I like him. God is no man's debtor. That saying has kind of been abused over the time. He's not kind of saying he's making you rich. Your heart's in the wrong place. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying that he's for you. He's not trying to rob you or take from you. But his heart is to bless us. His heart is for us. And I see that in this passage. That Paul is saying, you were incredibly generous to me. And there was a sacrificial element to that. Because you guys are struggling as well. But you need to know that, that your generosity didn't just bless me, it blessed the king. And it was like a burnt offering before the king. 
It was an act of love and friendship to the king. And no one walks away from the king emptier than when they came in. We go back to the analogy of the cup. No one walks away emptier. Well, the debt of friendship has always been and will always be on our end, not his. You're never gonna outgive God. And that's not just about money, but you're never gonna outgive God. You're never gonna be out faithful to God. You just can't. He's a better friend, a better father than you will ever be. And that's why Paul can say with absolute confidence, and my God will meet all your needs. He will. But he knows who he is. He's good. He's for us. That word meet is once again plerao. So if you read this in the Greek, what it, what it actually says is, you filled me to the full, so my God is going to fill you to the full. It's not going to be stingy. It's not holding out on you. He's for you. He's going to fill you to the full. He's generous to those who are generous. And it's such good news for you and me. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? And I don't know where you would sit this morning. I don't know if you would say, I genuinely believe that God is for me, that he provides and that I can trust him in that. I don't know where you're at with that. I want to share some of my own story to try to build your faith. Because if I was to look at my life and the journey that Anna and I have been on in the last 12 years, I can honestly say that God has come through for us again and again in amazing ways. You know, our first year of marriage was, was, was kind of hard, partly because I married a crazy person. Oh, that's going to get me in trouble. Probably more because in the first year of our marriage, Anna was in hospital like eight or nine, I think she said 10 times, something like that, because her heart just kept going into atrial fibrillation, AF. This is pre-transplant, right? So they're still trying to keep her heart in a stable rhythm even though she doesn't have a normal heart and that's kind of difficult, it just wasn't happening. And every time her heart would go into atrial fibrillation, we'd have to go into hospital, they'd they'd pull out a chart, panic for a bit because it's about this thick, and then they'd start to get to work. And then I always put her on amiodarone, which is this drug that's supposed to try to calm your heart down and bring it back into rhythm, right? And it just never worked, never. That's 24 hours gone, wasted, as we try amiodarone for the eighth time this year and it doesn't work, right? But they don't want to shock you. They don't want to do that if they don't have to, right? And it just never works. So the next day they would, they'd cardiovert her and they'd shock her heart back into rhythm and then they'd want to monitor her for 24 hours. Seems reasonable. Now, that doesn't seem that bad. The truth is it chewed up like three or four days every single time. So you can imagine by visit number seven in our first year of marriage, I'm starting to think, hang on a second, God, what are you doing? Like, where are you? What are you doing to help us in here? I'm getting ready to preach in the morning at my first church, right, for the very first time. Pretty nervous, 3 a.m., Anna taps me on the shoulder. Here we go again. Into hospital. It was just relentless. It was constant. It was just overtaking our life. Losing three to four 
days, every couple of weeks, just made it hard to function and to work and just everything was really, really difficult. And we're praying and we're asking God, we need you to come through for us. And he did. He really did. He had a cardio rhythm in Brisbane, cardio rhythm for all of Queensland, right? He took an interest in Anna's case and he took her on as a, as a private patient and just everything started to change. She was literally the only patient that he saw personally. And I remember the first time that he actually walked into the theater, all the nurses kind of looked at him and said, this guy never comes down to see people personally, ever. But he took an interest in Anna's case, took her on. And it was such an answer to prayer. He completely changed the way that he was treating Anna and her heart. And even just the fact that we got onto his books just changed all of the hospital. Things just happened so quickly because we're on the boss's books, right? Things just changed and moved so quickly. It was amazing. It was an answer to prayer, a real answer to prayer. And things stabilized for a number of years, probably six or seven years. Anna didn't have any problems, didn't have to go to hospital at all for her heart for a long period of time. It was a massive answer to prayer. God provided we moved to WA a couple of years later. Anna finds out that she's pregnant. It's a miracle baby. Because the doctors told us that just, that wasn't possible for her. Things get a little bit tricky at about 16 weeks. They tell us that Seb has about a 10% chance of surviving the weekend because of a hematoma and some different other complications. And, and God comes through for us. I remember when we told people that we were moving to WA, I had several people say to us, you can't do that. The hospitals over here are so much better. That's dangerous. You're being irresponsible. I literally had someone lecture me about how irresponsible I was to take my wife with her health issues over to W. That's rude, isn't it? I think you're a bunch of savages out here. We have hospitals. But that happened to me about two or three times. Well, it turns out the Lord knows what he's doing. Because King Eddie's is the best hospital for preterm babies, not just in Australia, but in the entire Southern Hemisphere. There is not a better place that my son could have been born in the entire Southern Hemisphere. Now, we didn't know that when we moved over here, but God did. He did. He knew what we needed and he, and he provided for us. Fast forward another five or six years, Anna's heart is starting to fail. Things aren't good. That's why she kept getting fluid and all kinds of problems. We're back in hospital all the time. We get onto the transplant list, and less than two weeks later, she gets a heart. Now, you've got to understand, it is amazing. You've got to understand, when you go through the process, they make sure that you know without a shadow of a doubt, you may never get a heart. They tell you that again and again and again. A, because they don't want to be sued, but B, because they don't want to get your, your hopes up, Right? We get on the list, less than two weeks in, Anna gets a heart. Surgery itself goes really well. She's out of hospital in less than six weeks. The lady before her was in hospital for, for just over six months. She doesn't need dialysis. She's got zero signs of rejection. You can't make this stuff up. It's the provision of God. It's just the power of God. It's the hand of God. And I feel like it's been one of the great testimonies in my life is that, that God has come through for us time and time again. And it hasn't always been in the way that we expected or maybe even the way that we were praying for, but God has come through for us again and again. Does that mean that, that it's always been easy? Absolutely not. 
Before Seb, there were years of heartaches where Anna just struggled to get pregnant and then struggled to stay pregnant. A lot of heartache in there. I spent more time in hospital than I ever thought I would. 12 weeks when Sebastian was first born, 10 weeks when Anna had a transplant, and then Anna and all the other things. It's weeks, it's months that I've spent in hospital, sitting by my bedside. It's not easy. But God has come through for us. He's provided again and again and again. And oftentimes that has been through the love and generosity of his people. That's been our experience. Sometimes it's supernatural. But a lot of the times it's through the love and generosity of his people. And yet I can stand here and say God has filled me to the full. He's been so faithful, so good, so generous to me. Most people in our culture think that God is trying to take from them. He's trying to rob them of joy, rob them of freedom. He's trying to take from them. But Paul wants you to know, and I want you to know, the debt of friendship has always been and will always be on our end, not his He's the greatest friend, the greatest father. You will never outgive God, ever. And if you're unsure about that, I would say to you, just look at the cross. And the cross is an everlasting testament to the goodness of our God and the links that He's willing to go to provide for His people. This is someone who can be trusted. This is someone who's for you. He says, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my righteousness and trust me with the rest. Trust me. So I really think there's two ways to go through life. You can trust in yourself and live full of anxiety, crippled by fear and anxiety. And guess what? Life still happens. Things still go wrong. Or you can seek first the kingdom and trust God. Trust his character, his nature. Trust him to provide for you. Trust that he really is for you. And I think Jesus would say there's peace here. There's a fullness of life here. That God really is generous to those who are generous. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I want to give you an opportunity to cast your cares or your worries before the king this morning. To take a step of faith in whatever it is that you're struggling, whatever it is that causes anxiety or worry in you, to take it and to place it before the king, the throne of grace this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm just going to give you a minute or two, just you and God. It's just an opportunity to chat to him and cast your cares before the throne of grace this morning. Why don't you do that with the Lord now?
Father, I pray for each and every person here this morning that we would know the peace and comfort that comes when we place our cares, our burdens, our worries before you, our God and King, and know that we can leave them there because we trust you. It's so tempting, Father, when we give things to you in prayer to then to try to take them back and to try to carry these burdens on our own. And I just firmly believe it's not the life that you have for us. That you don't want us crippled in fear and anxiety. You want us to walk in a place of dependence and a posture of trust towards you, our God and King, our Heavenly Father, who's for us. And when we struggle to believe that, Jesus, when we struggle to see your goodness in our circumstances, we'll be reminded, Father, would you remind us of the cross? It's this everlasting testament. We don't always understand the things that are happening in our life, but, but we know it cannot be that you just don't care. The cross says that. You do care. You are for us. You're willing to lay down your life for us. So in those places of doubt where we're struggling to trust you, we pray, Jesus, the cross would come front and center in our mind. We'd be able to see it, see your goodness in it. And then we'd be able to lay down our burdens, our, our cares and our worries before you and to find the peace that comes from walking with a God and a King and a Father who's for us, who provides we thank you, Jesus, for the ways that you do provide. How blessed we are in this country. Jesus, may we be generous. Shame on us, Jesus, is not always a link between abundance and generosity. Shame on us. But we pray, Jesus, that we would be generous. That we would be moved by the genuine needs of brothers and sisters all around the world the amount of brokenness in our world, and so we would be generous. And like the Philippians, we would see it as an honor and a privilege to join you in this work and to bless people. For anyone here this morning that does not know you, Father, I pray that they would have the courage just to reach out in prayer. What a joy it is to not go through life and the struggles of life alone, but to do it with you. And so I pray, Father, even if they don't know any way how, that they just, as they reach out in prayer, Father, you'd meet them in that space. And that the peace that goes beyond all understanding, the peace that you alone bring, Father, you would bless them with that. And in and through that, they would know that you are there and that you care about them. This I pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.